Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about collaborations, working as a party for design and DMing and play and D&D and other games. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we get into that, Dan, I just want to remind everyone that uh, after the show, as always at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, we will be doing our after party chat, which is hosted on our channel's own private Discord server. You can get an invite onto that Discord server by becoming a patron at our Patreon. That's uh, available at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. That's great. I'll look forward to that, Paul. Um, And viewers, you know, we'll be looking at the chat to see what your um, reflections and recollections are of working with other people in your tabletop role-playing game design. Paul, I feel that um, when I was preparing for um, this episode, and what a great idea, um, it occurred to me, this might be another episode that might be partly a therapy session for Dan, um, because <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I think that my, my instincts are, um, run a little bit counter to working with other people, honestly, um, yeah. for a couple of reasons that we'll get into. I, I tend to be, uh, a little bit uncomfortable about structuring or getting into, uh, a collaborative work environment, uh, honestly. So I might uh, rely a little bit on you to, um, like I said before the show, to to be the voice of of positivity uh, for collaborations. <laughs> and sure, uh, sure. I might be, I might, I might throw up some um, some prickly issues that perhaps you could help me with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is it's an interesting topic, right? Because I mean, here we are collaborating on this show. Uh, but also, you know, it's it's a thing, Dan, that you and I have pushed each other into uh, accidentally uh, in a couple different ways. And we've talked on this show before about uh, cooperatively DMing, right? We've talked about running a game together as two DMs uh, and the various ways you can do that. Um, so, but this is not that, right? We are going to talk more about the creative side of like writing, preparing, right, making content for eventual running later, uh, which is also right. something we've kind of accidentally fallen into. Uh, with our dungeon design dashes. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which is very interesting on camera the couple times we did, we've done that in the last season or so, and we're looking forward to doing that again. Um, and um, yeah, so it's a lot of energy there and a lot of, lot of excitement as we try to make a whole, uh, a whole dungeon in an hour online. And we've, you know, we've, we've accomplished that. Yeah. Yeah, we have. We have. We have. We're li- we're a little behind uh, at the time of this recording of actually getting some of those out the door on the final format to everyone, uh, uh, but that will be coming. That is in the pipe. We'll get some PDFs out to you all so you can see and run maybe some of the past dungeon design dashes. Um, you know, the other funny thing is the other reason this this topic popped into my head is, of course, last season, um, kind of late in the season, we had uh, special guest John Peterson on to talk about uh, his book Game mm-hmm. Wizards about uh, essentially about the collaboration between Gygax and Arneson and how that formed and how it fell apart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I mean, now the interesting thing is I would say on the creative side, it went fine, right? The product they made was great. Um, it was after the fact, it was the marketing and sales and uh, running of a company where things kind of fell to pieces. But uh, the actual like initial creation, I mean, hey, we've got Dungeons and Dragons. Here it is. It was a nice product. I feel like, uh, do, do you, um, you know, maybe you were thinking about that uh, a little bit more more uh, deeply than I was this week. Um, do you feel like the seeds of resentment were were sown in that initial product? Um, like, I feel like, sure, you know, because, things that were frankly, included. I feel like, you know, if you wanted to point a finger at where, uh, you know, as, as potential inputs to to that falling apart, I mean, Keep in mind that this was done in the uh, early 70s and there was no internet and communication was by long distance phone call, which was not trivial, right? 
uh, or by stray meetings at conventions. And so, and of course, neither one of them had any concept of what the game would become, right? They thought they were just working on another little pet project that was, you know, going to be a little niche, obvious thing. Um, So they didn't put a lot of thought up front into what is the process by which we work together? You know, how do we, how do we maintain this product once it's out there? I feel that's a that's a very hard issue, Paul. And and you and I have have grappled with that in the past, um, where uh, you know I've uh, come in on a particular topic and said, you know, we should we should do a process of A, B, C, and then D. And you've wisely advised me, you know, don't like you would recommend not putting too much process uh, ahead of us before it seems relevant. And I've had other projects, like I've had a musical project in the past before we did this, where same thing we did, you know, at, at someone else's advice, frankly, put down way more uh, process and, um, you know, organizational structure than, and it, and it turned out to be burdensome, right? And then in that particular right. case, because it didn't really take, took off, it, it turned out to be way more burdensome than it turned, than it was, than it was, than the value was worth. And so I find that very hard to predict, like what level of structure is worthwhile and not going to just become a burden on you. Yeah, that's 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 a very fair point. I think that is a very fair point. Um, and and certainly I have made that argument in the past, and you're, you're, it rings true to me that like yeah, if you spend all, if you spend hours writing complex contracts between each other about how you're going to exactly split the proceeds of a thing that essentially makes a couple dollars what's the point, yeah. right? And you're like, wow, I spent a whole lot of time worrying about stuff that never came to pass. Um, right. Yeah, but I don't know, you got to spend that, a little bit for success and for failure, I think. Yeah, that's fair. And you know what, I will say, here, here's something I've been burned by, and it's and it's on my mind because, you know, partly because I've worked in academia. And, uh, you know, I've had, it's a constant refrain in uh, colleges to talk about contracts. Right. And, and, and most of my colleagues will come in and want to talk about the syllabus is a contract. The syllabus is a contract mm. and it cannot be broken. And mm. in programming, you also talk about interfaces as uh, contracts. The interface provides a contract that cannot be broken. And I frequently um, have, have pointed out to my colleagues like, A, uh, that absolutely doesn't legally hold water. Like, when people have tried to argue that syllabus uh, syllabus is a contract in court, that has been rejected over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in our experience, like at one of the businesses that we used to work at, uh, people break contracts all the time. People break contracts all the time. Like like in my in my experience, you know, a contract is basically just the beginning of an argument. It does, you mm-hmm. know, people are not actually held to it. And the ones that I have been, you know, the, the, the formal ones that I've been involved with when push came to shove, uh, the other party just ignored it. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was just the beginning of an argument between <clears throat> legal entities. So um, even even having the contracts there, I'm uh, personally kind of um, have, have kind of a bad taste in my mouth because I haven't even seen that work. You know, um, a couple of things come to mind here. Uh, <laughs> first, I mean, something that came up recently that I heard that I really like, and obviously, you know, we're not lawyers. We're uh, we're just talking about how do you how do you work? Yeah. How do you work with other people? Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, one thing that came up recently that I that I enjoyed was the statement of like anyone can sue anyone for anything, right? Like ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately legally, anyone can sue anyone for anything. And a uh, contract doesn't necessarily mean for certain, you know, oh, this is ironclad and no, no, no conflicts are going to come up. Look at, yeah. and here's, here's my, uh, oh, I'm going I'm to apologize for going down this road. Our goal, this, this episode was to not talk about the OGL. Uh, but <laughs> I, here we are. I'm so glad you brought, you're breaking the rule and not me. <laughs> breaking the rule immediately. Because, of course, right, there's all this discussion over the fact that, that the OGL included the word perpetuity, but not irrevocable, right? And like somehow it wasn't foreseen that, like, oh, no, we thought it exists in perpetuity means it lasts forever. And yet we didn't think to put also it's irrevocable. And I guess you could be maybe revoked. We're not sure. Anyway. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think our goal is here to talk about like how to not end up in legal battles over your creation, but how to actually make the creation, right? How do you work together to get to the point where you actually have a thing that's enjoyable? Um, and then maybe, maybe, maybe one thing I would say is like start your basis with someone that you know that you have trust with, right? Like, yeah. um, I don't know what exactly, and, and certainly the Game Wizards book doesn't dive into this kind of personal level, but like, what was the relationship between Gygax and Arneson like during prior to and during the creation of D and D? Right? I don't. We don't know that. Was it cordial? Was it? Um, you know, were they just bouncing off of each other? It feels like the sort of thing, frankly, when I look back at it, that technologically would be similar to, say, if in this day and age you were, like, posting to a public forum. Like, hey, I made this thing. And somebody else responded, like, that's cool. Can I can I work on it and modify it? Sure, why not? Right? Like, it's this very casual, light connection. And it's not like they sat down to be like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to, like, carefully craft this masterpiece together. Totally. Um, so so that's that's the vibe i get off of it right there's some some note i think from gaius to arneson about like assume the usual you know 50 50 split is fine or something like that right (laughs) just like very nonchalant like yeah whatever yeah it's fine let's let's just let's just publish this thing because that'll be fun (laughs) and i think Uh, uh john peterson and game wizards he kind of uh make he kind of highlights uh that the idea in in some sense the original idea was valued at 150 dollars as a third part of their part of their contract is that once the once this pub publication run is out one party can buy the copyright from the other for 150 dollars. so apparently that was the the perceived sum value of dungeons and dragons at one point (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly it's worth thinking about those things up front, right? Like I don't want to say just ignore it, make do whatever you want. You know, go get together with your friends and make a thing. Certainly talk about like the end result of like if this thing makes a million dollars, what happens then? Right? If this yep. thing makes zero dollars, what then? If this thing incurs yeah. debt, what then? Right? Um yeah. so I I gotta say kudos to them for actually putting in a clause that says, hey, we can buy each other out, right? That's yeah, you should have that. You should absolutely think about like, well, what if one of us, what if it becomes this labor of love where it generates tens of dollars and is just a badge <laughs> of honor, right? And one of, and we both, you know, one of us super loves it, wants to keep working on it and is willing to do that for the, the minimal amount of money it's making. And the other person is like, this is work that I, that sucks. I don't want to be part of it anymore. Yeah, you should have an out for yeah. that. I agree. And likewise, and, um, you should be prepared for what if it makes a million dollars? What if it makes a million dollars, Dan? I don't know. Is that cool? You're both happy to walk away with 500K and say, see you later? We <laughs> <laughs> should have that, have that quick chat with, with someone. Talk That's, about the ridiculous uh, extremes. Yeah. And, and I've seen it in academia too, right? It's a common problem. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, someone writes a paper and then at the end you have an argument about who the co-authors are and who gets authorship credit, which is the entire thing in academia, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And it's I've more, seen it's more a about lot the credit of, than the profit. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the you know, yeah. the, you know, the getting, you know, a promotion and getting tenure is entirely based on how many publications you have uh, to make a, to, as, a, as a zeroth order approximation. Um, now here's and, something uh, I'm going to... I want to I want to draw a little bit as long as we're going down this this interesting alley here. Uh, here's something I've learned from video game development, which is which is fascinating about credit, right? Uh, is that is my opinion is credit costs nothing and it is ridiculous to not spread it around as much as possible. And I've seen this in video games where someone comes into the team late or only does a little bit of yeah. work that gets incorporated into the final product, and then there's gnashing of teeth over like we list them in the credits. And my my aunt, like my answer to that is why not? Does it devalue the credit that those people who worked really hard on got for it? What what is the harm in saying like this person who worked on it for a month gets a gets their name in the credits just like this person who worked on it for three years? I'll be a little sympathetic to that. I don't think I'd want to be the guy that says no, don't nope, put someone's name in there. Uh, you know, I can again, you know, seeing academia and how this this is like a, a major point of argumentation sometimes. Um, in people's, you know, are, I, I've seen people willing to throw away their entire career over an issue like this. 
that's wild. I guess maybe, and my my opinion is maybe formed around the idea that like probably this is happening at a company that produces yeah. multiple products. The person who contributed not very much has been maybe a recent ad, maybe they're a recent hire, or they're working on another project and they're going to get more credit for that project. And, and right. my argument is for team cohesion, you should make them right. feel like part of the team, right? Even though maybe they didn't super contribute to this one project, maybe they're going to be important in this next one. Why not make everyone feel like they're part of one cohesive team rather than, you know, rather than being like, oh, well, you did this work in this project, but not this work in this other project. So you only get credit here and not there. I would want to err in the same direction, right? I, I think I would want to err in that same direction. So I don't know if you remember, um, you know, at the company where 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 we met, Paul. I think that by the time you were onboarded, this issue was was uh, was was uh, a pat was 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 over. But uh, when I arrived at that game company, um, you know, the the game had already been the online game had already been established by other principals, and I was among the first outsiders brought on. Um, they had a, a philosophy, I guess, how it was communicated to me: of it's cool to not have any credits. It's cool yeah. to have the developers be be secret and mysterious and not have their names anywhere. Um, and, uh, and I was like, uh, this, um, this is, this is sort of my, you know, my career and my resume that I'm kind of building up at this point. And this is not helping, uh, for, for me to be here and be secret about it. So that was a weird, um, that was a weird instinct on the part of the principals to begin with. And we convinced them to, you know, to, to change that. But I, it was it was certainly troubling to me to come on board and go. We just don't we don't publicize that you're here at all. So I would. It's, it's weird. Like like are you, is the is the argument that not when you say it's cool, it's not like it's okay. It's like actually a positive, right? It's actually a positive to be mysterious. Yeah, is that what you're saying? That's weird. that's that was that's the argument. weird. Yeah, yeah. Was that the real reason? I don't know. I, you know, and then, and then it's, you know, there's there's always a twenty percent chance that wasn't the actual real reason. I don't know. Maybe, but that was how it was communicated to me, and it was. I thought it was odd. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, you know. I'll just say one thing on on your point yeah. about you know that maybe the you know heavy duty contracts are not useful. Um, you know, after my little bit of experience in in music, uh, I at a late date I learned there's the very famous uh, producer. I think his name is Steve Albini that works out of Chicago, and I've actually had I have friends that actually recorded with him. As a matter of fact, uh, and apparently he doesn't work with any contracts. Right. He, he, and he's, you know, he, I believe he produced a Nirvana album and many, many, you know, big name things. And to my understanding, he doesn't actually work with any contracts. His philosophy is I want to, you know, I want to work with people that I personally trust. And if I don't, you know, personally uh, uh, trust the person that I'm working with, I just won't work, bother to work with them, uh, which is an interesting take. Um, and at least with my experience, I can kind of feel why I can see why you'd go in that direction, because. The, the all the time spent on the contracts may not actually do you any good in the last at the in the last push. I feel like we're spending a lot of time on how to argue over the creation and not talking about how to make the creation. <laughs> I think that's for me that's the juicy topic that I want to get to. So again, are we talking about how to actually work with another human and make a thing? <laughs> I totally want to hear that, Paul. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm here for. Great, great. <laughs> Great. Uh, awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> I need um, help with that, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. I've really enjoyed the dungeon design dashes and it's a little different from some other collaborative stuff I've done in the past, right? You can look at stuff like we can make a comparison, I think, to the Arnis and Gygax collaboration where really it was a bunch of ideas were generated on one end, passed to the other end, and then they were filtered and, and edited and produced, right? Like it feels like a, you know, I did my part, I passed the ball to you, you do your part, we're done. Whereas I feel like our work on Dungeon Design Dash is much more like writer's room-esque, right? Where we're just, we're in the room together and we're just collaboratively pounding it out. Um, and the other the other thing I would like to compare it to is, is <clears throat> I once participated in 
something that is a bit like the Dungeon Design Dash. And hopefully everyone here knows what the Dungeon Design Dash is. Um, there are past episodes where you can see us do it, where we basically we just take a pre-existing map and we stock the map with an adventure on the fly using some random generators and just uh, talking out loud at each other until uh, yeah, until a, a dungeon comes out in, in an hour, which is crazy. And it's very yeah, intense. Um, so I did, pre- I did something very similar online on an online forum where the idea was somebody posted a map and said, we're going to stock this and we're just going to take it in turn to pick a room, put a number on it, write up your, your write up for that room. And then the next person will post the next room. And so it was this kind of baton passing, fill out the whole dungeon where each person maybe wrote a room because there was so many people on the forum. They're just passing it and passing it and passing it. And I think that was a very different experience from what you and I do on Dungeon Design Dash. Um, are you, have you done anything like that kind of baton passing that I'm talking about? I find that to be very intriguing and attractive. And more than once, I have looked at those kinds of projects and been somewhere in the somewhere near envious of that kind of thing. And then I feel that it's almost, uh, and I'm actually thinking about a collaborative campaign that you and I had with other people. Um, And I think about how, you know, if someone's gonna come in and break the theme, someone's gonna come in and go over the top and have something that totally smashes the theme or the balance or the idiom or whatever you have, and that's gonna irritate me. Um, Let me me put up uh, Joshua Macy's comment here, which I think is just super on on point. On point, Joshua. Baton passing never seems to yield a coherent design. And I totally, Mm -hmm. totally agree with that. Um, I can compare this to uh, a while back, I contributed to a project that was making a book of fifth edition variants of the gelatinous cube. And I worked on that with, mm-hmm. a, with uh, I can't remember, four or five other designers. And it was just each of us produced as many variants as we could. And then somebody collected them all and published them. And maybe that one is better because each entry kind of has to stand on its own, right? It is the, the point was kind of monster manual-ish to just create a lot of variety and, and not to have cohesion, right? Because there definitely wasn't. There was no cohesion in right. that, right? There was right. a lot of different ideas that just went wild different directions. And that's, you get the same thing with the baton passing. And that I saw exactly that on my forum-based uh, module where... Um, yeah, eventually, like, like there was a couple people build off each other's ideas, and that sounds interesting and exciting. And then somebody goes hard left, and you're like, mm-hmm. and now this thing is in the game? Wait, what? Mm-hmm. And then somebody tries to, like, they, some other people try their best yep. to, like, integrate it a little bit and start to stitch yep, together. Yep. And then someone goes hard right. And you go, mm-hmm. ah, what happened here? There's no, yeah. So. Agreed. And for what's with, I see Joshua's follow-up point about, in my experience, you need actual conversation in order for it to gel. And and unfortunately, that's what you and I get to do with the Dungeon Design Dash is we actually are doing it live. And uh, if 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 needed, we can we have the opportunity to rein each other in before it gets too uh, before we're too off the rails. Very Mm -hmm. yeah, very important, right? We're bouncing ideas back and forth off each other and asking, "What do you think of this? What do you think of this?" And then we say, "Yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Oh, let's go down this road." And then a final thing gets onto the page that we both like, right? That we both feel like, yes, that, that gels with the overall idea. Um, you know, there's, a, there's another, uh, I'm just gonna keep throwing more grist into the mill here. Uh, another thing I'm reminded of, and this isn't exactly collaboration in, term, in the traditional sense of like a writing or a creative process, but I'm also reminded of times where we have played single player games as two people, right? Whether that is us playing, um, uh, what do we do? Barbarian Prince, we played that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we played uh, Call of Cthulhu like and others. Call of Cthulhu, right, right. So, well, well, those are those still require GM and a player. I'm thinking of things that were specifically designed okay. to be played ultimately solo. Oh, but we did do yeah. some, right? We did do like um, some of the D and D like B solo modules mm-hmm. that are like clearly meant for one person, and, and two people went into it. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that is that I feel like both those those settings bring out that same thing where the two of us are trying to make a cohesive final thing, whether it's, you know, writing a module or telling a story via D&D. And we're bouncing ideas off each other. And we're like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? 
and there's still enough chaos in there, right? There's not no hard left turns, right? Yeah. We, sometimes one of us throws something in that catches the other one by surprise. And you're like, wait, what? That's crazy. But sometimes, wait, what? That's crazy is magic. And you go, yes, yeah. I love that. And what if we add this other thing on top of that? And then like, it just becomes incredible, right? And you don't get that when you're playing solo, right? You don't get that when you're creating solo. You don't have that, yes. no, that, that, magic bouncing off of each other where 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 something unexpected that neither of the two people coming into it saw. Yeah, I agree. And you know, my my instinct is to uh you know, do as you well know Paul to do lots and lots of advanced preparation before I, you know, engage or get in a team or do a performance or something like that. I want to be very very well prepared. But I find that I can spend like a whole month on my own trying to create and then I smash into other people and in, in 10 minutes live in a flash, I have three ideas that I never would have come up with uh, entirely on my own. And that there is, there is something about that interaction that is catalytic. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of playing D&D. And you're running a game <laughs> and the players do some crazy thing that you weren't prepared for, right? You as DM sat down and yeah. you're like, I got, I got, okay, I got yeah. my rooms, I got my counters, yeah. whatever. And I'm yeah, prepared yeah. to do a little improv. Yeah. And then the players go, we detonate the thermonuclear device. And you're like, what? You weren't supposed to, what? I forgot I even gave that thing out. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's the game. My game. Yeah, yeah, that's the game. You're right. That is the game. That's the game. And I think you get a little taste I, of that in collaborating with someone live yeah. in that in that interactive back and forth way. Yeah. And you know, I'll say I also get that uh in my teaching. I can I can sit here <laughs> and develop a lecture plan for a week and then uh you know walk in to students and you know it could maybe a question, maybe not, maybe just as I'm like delivering it verbally, and then all of a sudden the perfect analogy comes to me. Just the perfect analogy that I never would have thought of, but I walk into a live class and suddenly it just kind of drops out of me. And I'm like, I, it doesn't even feel like I came up with that. It just like, it's just all the universe just passed it through me. Um, yeah. And there is something about being live with people. Okay, so question, right? Yeah. What is, for this kind of uh, collaborative interaction, in your opinion, Paul, what's the, what's the <coughs> ideal number of people to be involved? So you're live, you're Ooh. having a conversation, you're co creating collaborative. What's the ideal number of people? That is fascinating. Okay, so I'm thinking back to times, uh, you know, it, specifically when I get into numbers of people, uh, what I'm going to draw on here is games I have played of, um, what the heck was it called? How to Design a Dungeon? Is that, is that, is that am I getting yeah, that right? Totally. You, you remember yeah. that? Yeah. Because yeah. I have I've sat down and right, which is kind of a game, kind of a puzzle, whatever. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. It's a little simulator that simulates the evolution of a dungeon, and the end result is supposed to be now you could build a D and D adventure out of the output of this thing, right? right? And to be clear, um, it's like a mega dungeon. Like each step of it is like a yeah. separate level, basically. So it's kind of like a dwarven a host dungeon. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. There you go. There you go. Great. Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. That's that's the name I was looking for. How to host a dungeon. Yep, it's a fun it's a fun game uh, thing. It's it, like even it even struggles to in its own listing to define whether or not it is or is not a game. <laughs> but it's enjoyable. <laughs> I recommend it. But I also recommend like even though it's written in a way that's like yes, you could do this alone. I recommend not doing it alone. I've done it with one person, and I've done it with two people, and I feel like um the three-person version of it that i did was still quite good quite fun mm -hmm. but i feel like was pushing on the boundary and i think if you went to yeah. four that would be too much and at least with three people it was nice because we were able to a little bit it was still bouncing of ideas off each other but also there was some some job distribution right we said okay you're in charge of the dice and you're in charge of drawing on this piece of paper and you're in, right like kind of doled out some of the mechanical okay you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. So each person had their little job and then also got to contribute to the bigger design questions. But I feel like, I feel like three is pushing. I think two is ideal, frankly. I'll say that. I think the ideal number is two and three is okay. And more than three is too much. That's my, that's, that's uh, my and I flag agree. I'm going to plant. 
<laughs> and that's also the number that I would pick as well. Uh, my my personal experience is I've had some very nice experiences creating in a in a two person team with uh, you know theatrical writing and sketch sketch development and and uh, and music and uh, working with my partner Isabel and wandering DMs with you, Paul. Those have been my best experiences. And I hear people, you know, I hear people talk about a writer's room professionally, and I just have a hard time uh, picturing, obviously that works for somebody, but I have a hard time picturing how that works. Because in my experience, the best, the best stuff for me has always been a two-person team. Yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know much about the writer's room idiom other than what I've seen in media, right? right? So all I can really go on is like movies and and television shows that present it. But my gut says the way those things work is, yes, it's a big room full of people. But it's a big room of, full of people just to generate ideas. And then once an idea is good, it's usually like, okay, you or you two or you three, go develop that yeah. and bring it back. Right. It's good not point. like, yeah. let's all as a giant group yeah, sit yeah. down and write this right. thing. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I think I like the SNL process works like that. I think they, they pitch ideas, but they're mostly working in, in two person teams, one or two person writing teams. I think that good point. That's a good point. Let me throw up a, a, a comment from Lorsudo, and, and you happen to already uh, address this a little bit, Paul, just as uh, Lorsudo um, uh, posted this, I think. Uh, so he was asking, can you guys speak towards maybe dividing the responsibilities? For example, maybe someone is more interested in game mechanics um, while other people are interested in other stuff. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about there with uh, how to host a dungeon, one person's mapping and one person's doing something else. How how deep or detailed do you get without the, those um, split of responsibilities? I mean, you and I do it on Dungeon Design Dash, right? Usually, one of us is the note taker, right? Yeah. One of us is yeah. the is got control of the charts, right, and is rolling dice, right? We we kind of divvy that that work up a bit because it's highly mechanical, right? It's like this is the busy work part, but when it comes to the actual like ide- ideation. I can use that word, <laughs> the, the creative process, then it's much more just collaborative and, and easygoing. But I don't think it hurts to identify those mechanical bits and break it apart and give people jobs. I think, in fact, I think that helps, to be honest. I think that helps. Cool. <laughs> but I would, I would definitely focus on stuff that fe- purely feels rote, that is not creative, right? Stuff that is just Okay, oh. we need to roll these dice. Yeah. We need to write this stuff down. We need to like write. It's just the stuff that is like, you know, it has to happen. <laughs> That's the stuff I would distribute. Good comment. I like that. Yeah. Good comment. Mm-hmm. That's an important qualifier. Yeah, yeah. Now, with with if there are more than two people, you might need to elect somebody as like this is the the, the tiebreaker, the decision maker, or whatatever, right? Like a head writer yeah. and a writer, like a somebody right. that's going to be like. Yeah, I like that idea. That that one's terrible, right? So <laughs> somebody right is going to break ties. Yeah, right. And um, I think it was William uh, pointing out that in uh, kind of interesting chat going on right now about the um, the, the writers' room issue. And William pointed out that um, writers' rooms have a head writer, like a DM. He says, and yep. uh, I like the point about uh, writers' rooms might be particularly important for comedy to make sure that people are laughing at your jokes. Um, right. Which I can yeah. do that. Yeah. And interestingly, so it, it's interesting because I have like in my in my D&D games now, I, I, I actually have a particular threshold for having a caller, for having a leader among the player characters. And I think it's six. I might have to look it up, but I think it's with like with six people. I want to identify a caller and less than that. I don't bother to do that. So I don't know if that matches anybody else's experience. And I want to point out specifically to break ties. Yeah, yeah, to break ties. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that's that is what is interesting to me about the caller, right? I think that is uh, that's the where I've seen it work nicely in in D anD. d Okay, I want to I want to bring up something else. Uh, sorry, I, I just this thought struck me as you were talking there about dungeon design dash is that we kind of have more than two collaborators, right? Because we kind of have the audience. Right? We do it live on stream yeah. and the audience yeah. is watching and they're tossing stuff out at us in chat. And oftentimes we see ideas percolate up there. And we're like, that's awesome. We're taking that. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> it's very interesting though, right? Because it's kind of like this collaboration between the two of us really, but we have this secondary input stream of, you know, uh, let's say less involved collaborators, right? <laughs> we have this kind of, um, 
think tank of, of yeah, yeah, idea yeah. producers for us. That's 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 how yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want them to feel bad about their role. Their role is important and right. valuable. Yeah. Thank you, viewers. Thank you. Yeah, for they're the third collaborator. Right. Yeah, they are the third collaborator, but Absolutely. they don't have as much control, right? They don't really have a vote in yes, that goes in or no, that doesn't go in. We can veto it. <laughs> 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 we're we're the security council. <laughs> and I like that. I like yeah, that. I mean, maybe that's, that's kind of writer's room esque, right? Where maybe you have two people yeah. who are like, we're in charge of yeah. the skit. This is our skit. But oh yeah, right. you know, let's toss it around. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We're going to take that, right? But they still make the call. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's a really that's a really good comparison, honestly. And yeah. and frequently we get you know, and and actually frequently the problem uh, there is an embarrassment of riches. Is you know more than once we've gotten like a particular room we're working on, and we've had three great ideas. We have th we've had you know three great ideas uh, pop up from the viewers in the chat, and we've had to make a hard choice. Uh, you know, we couldn't use all three of them, and we've had to make a hard choice about which one we go with. Actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of the creative process for me. Whether I guess I noticed this a lot in uh, cooking or in I feel like you hear this in fashion, right? Like uh, if you're getting dressed to go out, the last thing you should do is take off one accessory, right? Or you know, in cooking, it's sometimes it's like leave out that one last ingredient, right? It's probably one too many, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I will say, okay, being so able I, to edit, I, I think is important. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. I, t I, uh, I, I have a theory that we're all fighting in different directions. So I, I'm absolutely sure that for some people, uh, the the struggle in their life is to remove one more thing, and then for some of us who are uh, very much uh, hyper minimalists, uh, the struggle might be to add one more thing. Um, so I'm sure there are okay. different people that are that are that are. Struggling in different directions on that hill. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah. Um, now, I, I want to. Sorry, <laughs> I keep. I keep. I'm sorry, Dan, if I'm bouncing our conversation wildly from one point to the next. But the more I think about this, the more fascinated I am to kind of tear apart our process for Dungeon Design Dash and think about how it happens. Because there's a there's an, an end step, right? After we've done the show and we've done all this lovely collaborative yeah. process, what we have is actually a disgusting pile of unorganized notes. Right, we have a thing that <laughs> we is have an Arnesonian basket of stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right, and and then we do get into a baton passing process. Right, usually what happens then yeah. is maybe I generate a cover. Uh, maybe you start entering stat blocks. I, you know, I start going through entry by entry and just cleaning up the language. Right, we do this kind of process where it's definitely it's more mechanical. Again, like it's not at that point. It's not totally not creative, right? I'm definitely, when I'm cleaning up the language, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, we had this idea. Let me, how do I incorporate that into the text? Um, so there's some amount of creativity there, but it's definitely well established the confines of, right? We're like, okay, you know, we have this content to work with and we're just trying to clean it up and make it presentable. Um, and that, that baton passing, I think works well, I believe. Maybe that's just job. Maybe that's just what we were talking about before about distributing jobs between people. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that? Would, I guess. Yeah. Let me challenge that. Do you think that that process would go better if we weren't like you know hundreds of miles apart and and we, we just got into a room together? Like, okay, let's let's clean up this language together. Go right. I I actually do. I, yeah, I actually do think that that's uh, the 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 um, the. Uh, <clears throat> The quagmire is part of that process for us at the moment, actually. Um, mm. Here we are. <laughs> are we debugging? Are we process debugging <laughs> right now? Why? Is that what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, is, we're collaboratively debugging our collaboration process. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Is that because we haven't firmly established, I do this part, you do that part? Or is it that? Those those things really shouldn't be separated, and you should do them together. Maybe we should try doing them together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a excellent. So we're setting up a unit test to debug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have two in the pipeline, so we can A/B test it, Paul. Great. Perfect. 
Perfect. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh my goodness. Wait. Okay. I I want I want Lord Sudo's question. I hope you're okay with yes, this. Yes, thank you. I we're uh, we're totally on the same page today about like what what questions we want to deal with. I totally agree. That's wait, a great one. Here's a question from Lord Sudo. He asks, here's a question. Why are artists not brought in sooner as actual collaborators in most RPG projects? Wow. That's a great one, Dan, because I think you and I have both had the same experience in video mm -hmm. game development where we are incredibly excited to have the artist involved early in the process. Where sometimes you have a bunch of ideas and then you pass them off to an artist and the artwork you come back with is got something new in it, something you didn't foresee. Somehow the writing, the ideas, the notes translated to something visual for the artist that is surprising and wonderful. Totally agree. That was the best. That was the best part of working in video games for me was precisely that. And working in you know a Magic the Gathering like game of here's a card and it goes away and comes back with art. And I'm like, this is so much better than I imagined. That was single best experience in that field for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and in some cases, right, you'll go earlier. back to the design process at that point and go, well, I have to incorporate yeah. this thing, right? Yeah. I have to add. I mean, just yes. look at our last dungeon design dash where we were looking at the map and we went, is that a pumpkin? Is that a right. pumpkin in the middle of the map? Right. <laughs> Didn't see right. that coming. And then that completely changed the content of that thing. So you why know, are for, artists um, brought in so late in the process? In, for, for let me just, let me, let me throw, before we get that, let me just throw in, if I can find the right page here, because I was not ready for this. So th this kind of thing actually came up. I found it. Um, this thing actually came up um, in our discussion after the Book of War show on Thursday. Had a great game with Dan Cullen as usual. Uh, we're testing the solo units and we had uh, flying dragons on the board for the first time um, in our televised series. And so um, it was our viewer, Desperal, who made a couple comments afterwards, uh, pointed to how flyers work in uh, the Warhammer traditional fantasy battle game. I have the sixth edition rules here. So I looked up how flyers work here just as a you know com comparison. And for what it's worth here on these pages, the text specifically says here in sixth edition, flyers uh, never stay in the air. Every single turn, you have to start and end on the ground and you, you totally fight on the ground. Now then, the facing page has a flying griffin and dragon in battle, which cannot happen according to these rules. <laughs> right? So right. there, so right, right. There, so to me, there's a little bit of an uncomfortable disconnect between the actual game and the actual art. And uh, maybe if the artists had been brought in sooner, they would have been like on page with the rules or vice versa or something like that. Very much on my mind just last night. <clears throat> so why aren't artists brought in earlier? I don't know. I think maybe because it is seen as a later part of the process, it's part of the finishing process rather than part of the initial creation mm -hmm. often, right? It's like it's like formatting, right? It's it's editing. It's oh, you know. It is very easy, I think, for designers, especially who maybe don't have their own art skills, to work in a vacuum and say, Okay, we produce all this thing and then go, Okay, I have this giant block of text, this many, many pages of text. And you know what? That's hard. That's hard to look at and that's hard to sell, right? Here's just plain text. A dozen pages of plain text. I mean, we're like, you need something to break that up or you're going to lose your readers. Uh, and then you bring in the art. Um, but I would say it's a mistake. You, you, we should be bringing in artists sooner in the process, if possible. I think it probably depends on the type of game because certainly with, with a uh, collectible card game like Magic the Gathering, I mean, they have a whole process where it's very siloed. Uh, the art's clearly very discreet. Uh, it definitely, it's all the same size. Um, it definitely supports, you're gonna need a, a ton of it. So it supports having like a large distributed team as opposed to something like, I don't know, like a Blizzard game where you clearly have artists in the design phase, uh, you know, coming up with conceptual art, conceptual thematic art fairly early on um, for a, you know, a larger, for a more elaborately produced game. Mm -hmm. So it possibly depends on the type of game and your, like what, what your process is. 
probably for you know for for like a little indie production um you know there probably isn't enough resources to have an ideal team uh yeah. together from the outset um you know, contracting the art is one thing, but does, you know, de de design, you know, art design up front is, is a more open-ended thing. And how do you even uh, price that? I, I wonder, and this is, this is maybe too big of a topic to add in, in here, but I do wonder if, um, if AI generated art is going to change this. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I'm kind of kind of tempted now to run that experiment. What if I sit down because I'm not an artist. Let me let me put that out there. Yeah. I my art is not good. <laughs> but yeah. uh, if I was sitting down to write a publication, I would be tempted, um, you know, to sit down and be like, well, let, why don't I try generating some AI generated art as I go, see what it does and what comes up with it what things yeah. for it I will incorporate back into my, into my design. It's interesting. You know, on my, uh, for what it's worth on my, on my math blog, uh, the other day, I, you know, had a very, I had a brief post about the chat GPT, you know, uh, language model system that was released in late November. So, uh, uh, about two months ago as we're speaking here and that has just turned so many things upside down instantaneously. And I almost like part of my gut almost feels like, is this the singularity? Because wow, a lot changed practically overnight. And just in the last two months, I mean, this is a much larger issue, obviously. Uh, you know, we have academics saying, you cannot assign homework anymore. There can't be take home exams. There just can't be any homework for, for grades. We've had uh, court cases uh, where the legal ruling was written with chat GPT. We've had uh, congressional speeches written by chat GPT. Uh, we have uh, academic journals having to ban its use and not really clear how they're going to enforce that. Uh, so with the art, I, I, I could imagine that completely upsetting the whole, the whole prior history of the industry based with the, the, uh, the art generators. I mean, you know, mid journey is very good. Maybe maybe There's next time we do a dungeon design dash, we should do it with Chat GPT. See how that goes. We probably should. I mean, so that you you just struck me with terror. Okay, to be perfectly clear, you just struck me with with abject ter existential terror, uh, and my, my 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 gut my gut sank. And uh, you know, D and D is fundamentally a horror game, so yeah, we should probably do yeah, that. Great, great, excellent. My, so my, next week my, we'll be introducing our new co-host in Washington. <laughs> oh dear oh dear i i will say so i've run a couple of experiments with chat gpt right and uh it's funny mm -hmm. because our uh our our friend uh justin alexander that we had on a couple weeks back has also tried the same thing so so justin and i both independently had the idea of ask gpt to write a blog article in the voice of me Right. So, oh so you know, me write, write a blog article in the voice of Delta on statistics in D&D. And Justin was like, write a, write a blog article in the style of the Alexandrian for this. And um, at least at the moment, it doesn't do a very good job of that. So mm -hmm. um, uh, so I was like, that is that does that's not what I would do re remotely. Um, so at the moment, Justin, and I both feel comfortable that our um, our blogging careers are not going to be taken away by chat GPT right now. So we, we could, we could, we could try that as an interesting thing. I think, I think the system has gotten slowed down recently because they just, for what it's worth, they, they rolled out their, um, their pay tier, I think a couple of days ago. And, and I was on, I was on it a couple of days ago and it seems a lot slower than it used to be. Interesting. Um, Okay, let's let's uh, let's uh, narrow our topic here. Uh, we were talking about collaboration. Yes, AI as a collaborator is an interesting offshoot of that. Yeah, but maybe let's right. not go too far down that rabbit hole. Um, right. Let me get back to just basics of collaborating with another person. Um, we talked about uh, setting up initial expectations, right? Whether that's contracts or not, we talked about the actual process uh, that it does seem like 
Um, you know, for the truly creative part, that live is possibly better. I feel like that's a place where we ended up, right? Like, yeah, trying to yeah. do stuff, baton passing, if you will, uh, whether that's, you know, through emails or on a forum or whatever is, is rough. Mm-hmm. Um, in the final refinement stage, maybe baton passing is okay. Maybe not kind of open, open to that. Um, certainly better. Yeah. Certainly mm. better. Mm-hmm. Here's a question from William, uh, that I think is yeah. good. Um, how, how do you, um, deal with overcoming disagreements or ties in the process? This is a good question actually, because, you know, I, I just said that my lifelong preference has been a team of two people. But at least hypothetically with two people, you, do, you have this pro- problem of possibly an impasse. And, you know, my, my, you know, my, so, so I, I, did, so the, I guess I will say that the other thing is in my past history, I have had really good experiences with, with uh, musical bands formed of three people. Um, like maybe I've had two projects like that in my history. And that worked perfectly nice exactly because of that, because there, there, there wasn't going to be, an impasse there was with an odd number of people there was always going to be a breaking of a tie and um in later years i uh, you know um was challenged trying to recreate that three-person team and frankly never managed to make it happen again um mm. and um with uh you know and i've had i've had one experience with a two-person group that basically broke down over that issue. Um, you know, Paul and I work very, very well together, so that hasn't been an issue. Um, how do you deal with that, Paul? How do you, if you have an even number of people, like possibly two, how do, and you have an impasse, what what, what do you do with I mean, that? The, the funny thing is, um, because, because of the way we started this conversation, one of the things that keeps coming to my mind is... Um, uh, an issue that 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 is addressed in Game Wizards in that TSR at a certain point had this kind of office of the president, which was multiple people. And, um, you know, it might have been the, the Blooms or one of the Blooms and, and Gygax. And decisions were made by the group. They had to get in a room and hash it out, and they did. And just the way the text is presented around that issue, it sounds like, even though... <laughs> even though uh peterson never comes out and says this was a huge issue i feel like it's obviously an issue right? <laughs> like like geez yeah. you need you need these guys you need how many people to get into a room and come up with a consensus every time you want to make a decision that's awful um i would also say if you're truly at loggerheads i, I feel like dan that you and i if we had if we came to a point where you're like i definitely want this to be an ogre and i'm like it definitely should be a dragon and we're just absolutely at loggerheads I think we would agree to go to the dice, right? We'd be like, all right, yeah. arbitrary. Let's, let's just institute an arbitrary decision maker based on randomness. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We've never gotten to that point. I, I also feel like possibility is like, well, now it's an ogre dragon. Um, and now, yeah, why not both? Great. <laughs> <laughs> is, is a possibility. But yeah, great. I mean, right. Dice. Yeah, that's what, that's what they're there for. Yeah, yeah, arbitrary decision maker for sure. I, yeah. I would, I would, I think that's an option. Um, you know, or or you could you could shop it out, right? Like we, like if we were, um, if we were live, if there was a way to do this, I don't think we've ever done this, but I, I'm imagining if we're doing a dungeon design dash live on the show and we're like, we totally disagree on this, we might go, okay, audience, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, we've yeah, done. You that. guys decide. Yeah, have we? Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. we've 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 done. Yeah, we've gotten in that same that zone. Yeah, which is, your I guess, helpful if you're collaborating in front of an audience, which maybe not everyone is doing. <laughs> but maybe that's a thing you should try. Go collaborate in front of an audience. It's a fascinating, uh, fascinating wrinkle to the collaborative process. To have, uh, you know, I put a lot of, uh, you know, I, I've used a lot of online surveys in the past. So you can go to social media site. Uh, it could be Twitter, it could be Facebook and throw up a poll. Uh, let people vote on it or something like that, um, you know, which is kind of a double whammy because then you're getting, um, uh, you know, you're getting feedback and you're also interacting with people. So, um, you know, on a social basis. So you can do that sometimes. Um, Dan, I feel like I have to point out that uh, we're at the end of the show. Don't sit. <laughs> <laughs> Final pause on collaborating. <laughs> God. 
Yep. Like, how does this happen? <laughs> oh, no. Always surprising. I just how glanced at the clock happen? and I went, oh, it's over. Oops. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> you know, my experience of time when I'm when I'm with you, Paul, and viewers is totally different. It's like a com yeah. it's a completely different sense of time when I'm with other people right. than when I'm with myself. Um, so uh, crazy. Um, it, it's something that I, you know, I, uh, you know, collaboration is something that I um, struggle with, frankly. Uh, you know, grew up in a very uh, isolated uh, part of the country on, and I, you know, and my brain is used to reading and thinking and researching and even playing games that aren't supposed to be solitaire, solitaire. Um, so I, I tend to, you know, lean towards an auteur theory of creation and sometimes it, it gets me in trouble. And then when I, when I do get over that, that fence and get to be with a really great collaborator like Paul, um, uh, you know, then, then there's, 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 there's some magic and, um, uh, and, and two is good. I like two. And I also like the opportunity to reach out to a larger, uh, you know, a larger audience to get larger, you know, more feedback when, when, when the time is right. Uh, but I do, I do like working with two people. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. I would, I would, I, I think one of the things that I've, that it's come to light to me in this discussion is this idea of maybe if you're considering collaborating with someone and you're not sure if it's going to go well, uh, or you just want to set yourself up for success, it's not a terrible idea to sit down and do some other activity that's meant to be solo together and see how that goes. It's, I'm especially thinking of things like playing games that were intended to be solo, like go play a solo game with your potential collaborator. And uh, I think that was that was a great experience, right? I think when you and I have sat down and played games like like the solo modules or Barbarian Prince or whatnot, those games just become better, which is shocking because it's already a good game. And now it's way better for, for having another person, another brain, another voice. That's a really good that's a really good point. And also to find some other ent entirely different recreation together just to see is this. Uh, you know, is this a good uh, working relationship even outside the the main project? As a matter of fact, mm. that's really good. I'm going to put up one one uh, comment from uh, so way back at the beginning of the hour. I think William was asking when we were talking about you know the problems of collaborating and possibly structures to deal with this. Uh, William was asking which of the wandering DMs owns big and which one owns bad, <laughs> and then. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is currently not written down. I will point out. Um, and then nope. uh, uh, our friend Laura Sudo uh, said, "I predict an advanced wandering DMs channel in the future to try to dodge the contract." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Co-hosted, -co hosted by one of the existing wandering DMs plus Chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I hope that we that the technology will advance to a point where we can just keep the format exactly identical and one of us is just replaced with like a 3D rendered robot. That would be <laughs> plus, plus Tim Task is editor. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, Viewers, if you have uh, any experiences to share of uh, collaborating on game creation or or really any creative process uh, that you would like to uh, share with us, we'd love to hear it. Put it in the comments of this video on YouTube here, and uh, we will take a peek, and maybe it will spawn new conversations for us down the road. Yeah, and don't forget that you can remember, uh, you can uh, like, follow, and subscribe to us. Uh, we are on uh, social media sites like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub. And Paul, I'd like to point the following out. Did you know that in the last week, we increased our subscriber account on TikTok by infinity percent? <laughs> Join yeah. the rush, kids. Happens. We have the handle Wandering DMs <laughs> on all those sites. So look for this there and you'll get updates on upcoming shows. If if you prefer to listen to this show in audio only podcast format, uh, you could do so. Those podcasts are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. Uh, also, you can find us on various podcast carriers such as Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts. If you are listening to the show right now on one of those sites, 
or another third-party carrier, uh, and the ability exists, please rate and review our show there. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And uh, just like Paul said at the start of the show, uh, big thanks to our patrons who uh, support the Wandering DMs. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And you'll see our different tiers and discounts on merch and stuff like that. And uh, you'll have access to new dungeon design dashes when we uh, finally get those out of the pipeline. And of course, our favorite part of the week is continuing uh, this chat right here on our Discord server. So we'll be there in about uh, 10 minutes to continue the after party chat. And uh, we'll both be there today. Anything else coming up this week, Paul? Uh, that's that's all that strikes me. Um, and we're, you know, among the things on Discord, we've got to, you know, chat about uh, rules that uh, I'm ironing out for Book of War. We'll have another session with that uh, with uh, Dan Cullen next week, not this week. Um, and uh, so we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to all that kind of stuff. So don't forget that we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.